Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Beach Haven Christmas Eve. What a joy it is to be able to see such a great crowd this evening, this afternoon. I don't know what time it is. I'm used to doing this in the morning or late at night. This 4 o'clock thing is great, but I'm confused. Uh, but we have a great opportunity this afternoon to draw near to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God with us, Emmanuel. Would you stand tonight? This afternoon is going to be a great time where we worship our great God and sing some great carols of the faith. So would you stand? Let's join together and sing out our praise to him.
sing together, Silent Night. Silent Night, Holy Night, all is wrong, all is right, round young virgin, mother and child, holy blessed and gracious God, we praise you because you specialize in creating moments that change centuries. And in those few moments it took to give birth to Christ, you began a process that has changed our world for billions and even eternities. We bless you for that because 
we are not this way. We struggle to change ourselves over a lifetime, much less in moments. And so we pray that in these moments that the power of your Holy Spirit would overshadow us as with Mary and that Christ would become more prominent and exalted and magnified and real as you change us. God, in these moments, would you change a soul? Would you change an eternity? God, would you reach down and change a marriage and change a family? Would you change a church and community and expand the glory and the majesty of the Lord Jesus because we've met here in these moments? In the name of Emmanuel, God with us, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Please be seated. Welcome to Beach Haven Baptist Church on this happy uh, Christmas uh, Eve. We are thrilled to be here together to celebrate the Word, a name for Jesus, the Word who became flesh. God became man and was born in that way, took on a human body to where he could bleed and rise again for our sins. We are a church with that kind of vision. We want to flesh out uh, the gospel and the majesty of Jesus Christ just like he did. And that's why we gather. If you're a guest with us, thank you especially. If you live in the Athens region, can you help us with something? Uh, in front of you or near you or beside you is a connection card. Would you take that out and fill it out entirely and completely? And uh, you can place it in the offering plate as it comes by at the end of the service or give it to a staff member. What we will do with it is that we'll send you a text message. A staff member will contact you. An age-appropriate Sunday school worker will contact you as well. Uh, we try to come in flesh and be real and uh, be personal with all that um, will let us by filling out that uh, connection card. Now, at the end of the service, we're going to take up an offering for Christian Concern. Christian Concern is our local church ministry here where we help folks uh, in need. And uh, if you could give kindly and generously to that, that will supply needs for folks for the next year in a marvelous, marvelous uh, way. Uh, now, uh, we're going to stand in just a moment and greet each other with the right hand of Christian Fellowship. And as we do, I want to ask our children, especially those K through 3, uh, to come and uh, gather around the altar here where we'll have a children's sermon right after our greeting. So if you can help me now with that and give each other Christmas greetings, uh, that would help us greatly. How are you? You doing well? Who's this? Katie? Good to meet you, Katie. Okay, have I met you before? I've... I can do it. All right, we're a friendly church, but that's a lot. Please have a seat, and thank you for coming tonight. Will you all get right in front of me? I want to see you. Everybody get right here. Well, thank you for letting us borrow your children tonight. If you all can turn around where you can see me, I've got some things I want you to see, and I hope you can see them. We're going to talk about traditions and symbols tonight. Okay, and uh, 
hopefully this will help us continue to get into the, the Christmas spirit, just get in it deeper and deeper and deeper. I've been thinking a lot about traditions and symbols, and I brought some things to help us with. Uh, the first thing here is, what is that, y'all? <laughs> it is a vase, and that's to hold my, thank you. It looks like a branch, probably. It's a tree. We're going to talk about trees this afternoon, but we're going to pull out some other things, too, and you can help me if I ask you a question, and it, it, I would really like it. One of my favorite traditions uh, coming Christmas is we open our presents Christmas morning, and when I grew up, one at a time. Can you do that? Do y'all do that? Anybody? I love it. And it takes about, what, Mom, about five hours. <laughs> but that's okay because everybody gets to see what everybody's doing. So that's a tradition. You may eat cookies, you know, the night before Christmas. You may put on your favorite pajamas. Anybody have Christmas pajamas? Any adults have Christmas pajamas out there? <laughs> I've got a Christmas robe, so I'll put that on. It's a little hot tonight. And then there's symbols, okay? Y'all know what a symbol is. Let me give you an example. If I gave you this symbol, what would that be? Thumbs up. What is that symbol? What is this symbol? A lot of different things. You've got symbols, okay? Let me pull out. So here's one tradition. What do we do with this every Christmas? Christmas tree, okay? Were there any Christmas trees in the Bible? All right, you could chop down a tree. What I want you to see is that all over our house, all over our city and our nation during Christmas time, there's all these rich traditions and symbols, and you can really go far with it. Here's a suggestion. When you look at your Christmas tree or your neighbor's Christmas tree, your family's Christmas tree, I want you to think of a couple of different trees in the Bible. Do you remember a tree way back in the Garden of Eden? But what was that called? The tree of... Tree of knowledge of good and evil. There was another tree in there, too. Do you remember what that tree was called? The tree of life. Good. Love. There should have been a tree of love. There probably was. And what was on all the trees, probably, that you could pull off? Fruit, okay? Think about that in just a minute, okay? So you had the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So here's our tree, and it's symbolizing the tree that we put up. This the kind of trees that we usually put out every Christmas time are something called ever what? Evergreen. Well, they, that would be nice. You wouldn't have to pay $40 every year. But they're not everlasting. They're evergreen, just like something Jesus gives us is ever something as well. And we'll get to that in a minute, okay? See if you can be thinking about what Jesus gives that's ever something. Okay, so you got the Christmas tree. And it's symbolizing a lot of trees, symbolizing evergreen. Uh, Christ came once, right? Once for all. He came as a, a man or a teenage baby. There you go. He came humble. He came just like us. When we come out of this, uh, this world, we come as a baby. We grow up. He showed us so many things in life. And then finally there was another tree that was special during Jesus' life. What do you, kind of a tree did Jesus use to save us? What do we call that tree? Well, not the kind of tree, but what, do we, what was the tree fashioned into? What was it made into? A cross, exactly right. So you can think and imagine and use meanings and symbols just even for the Christmas things in our house, okay? 
Think about that first tree. That Every tree that's made, God made it, didn't it? I mean, we may help plant it and, and water it, but every tree can symbolize God's creation, okay? So you've got that cross. You may look at this tree in your house or in your family's house and say, you know what? There was a tree back in the Garden of Eden. There was a tree that was made into a cross for Jesus. And then finally, there was one more tree, and I want to read to you from the book of Revelation. This is really cool. Get your chill bumps ready. Are you ready? The tree of life comes back in the very end, in the, in the heaven, in the new creation. Revelation says, And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This is John the Apostle talking about heaven and talking about the future. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. The tree of life comes back, y'all, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Trees can be pretty cool, can't they? I love trees. In my bag here, I've got some other symbols. And one is just the color red. If you don't mind, if you're an adult or somebody out here in the sanctuary, would you stand up if you've got a prominent color red on? I want you all to see this, kids. Everybody's wearing red today. Not everybody. There's a lot of red, okay? You see that? You see your parents? All right, y'all can be seated. When you see red, you see it everywhere in your house, don't you? Pastor Tim's got someone. I've got someone. You've got some red. Have you ever thought about why you wear red during Christmas time? Because it's a Christmas color. But let's go deeper. That's, that's smart. That's wise. It is. I, I would say you can remember the blood of Jesus. One day, even though he came as a baby, he would one day become a man and die for the sins of the world. And his blood would bleed red, just like ours does when we get a cut. So it may sound a little bit gross, but it's not, isn't it? Blood is special. It's the life that God gave us. And when you see that red, remember, oh, Jesus died for me. And I gladly wear that color for him. I gladly wear the green that, remember, reminds us of the evergreen tree that reminds us of the everlasting gift of life that Jesus gave. There's some other things in here that, you know, when you see even a snowman, I mean, you can put a little red on that, you're talking about the, the blood of Christ. You're talking about um, the blood of Christ all over things, all over your house and all over your clothes, and it's awesome. What is this? And this is the final thing I'll remind you of. A candle. And what does a candle do for us? It gives us light. Jesus is the what of the world? Light of the world. There's a lot of special lights. You're going to put them on your evergreen, everlasting tree. You could probably put them up in your windows. You might have them all over, you know, your house. Let that remind you. Even when you see a bunch of crazy colors. I don't know if y'all been to Watkinsville, families. There's this crazy uh, house and in the yard, the guy just puts up all these different kind of decorations, and he's inviting everybody in. We went last night, maybe a new tradition of ours, and there were the lights. Remember, when you see the lights during Christmas time, Jesus is the light that brings hope and brings the ability to see clearly the truth of God. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for all the symbols that you've given us throughout the ages, the traditions. Help us to see even deeper what greens are, what reds are, what lights are, what trees can remind us of. And every time we do that, Lord, help us to 
see even deeper what Christmas can mean to us. But most of all, thank you for bringing Christ as a baby, but not stopping there, having him grow up and then die for us on that tree we call the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Can you all find your parents? Good luck. <laughs> in the last, last year in October, I had a chance to go to Israel on this amazing trip with a bunch of folks from around Georgia. And we, one of the most incredible places we went was to Bethlehem, that tiny little town that's not so tiny anymore. You know, and the thing about going to Israel now is that you see some things that are, that you know the place is authentic, but it looks nothing like it looked 2,000 years ago. But then there are other places, like just outside uh, Bethlehem, there's an area that they call Shepherd's Fields, and it looks pretty much exactly the same as it did 2,000 years ago. And it's so easy to be there and to look out upon those fields and see the sheep up on the hillside and imagine what it must have been like for those shepherds that were just outside Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. But it also reminds us that what we celebrate today is more than just a symbol. It's more than just a story. It is history. It really happened. It really does make an impact in all of our lives. So let's stand. Let's continue to praise our God and worship our King.
be our prayer. Lord, be near me.
they went to Bethlehem, how far you went for Calvary. No greater grace was ever known, no greater love was ever seen. We set our hearts on pilgrimage, we're caught up in your story too. From Bethlehem to Calvary, our hearts will always follow you. Jesus, lead us to your heart. Join with me in Isaiah chapter 9, and I want you, as you're turning there, to read with me the words to a Christmas carol. That uh, with which you're probably very familiar, entitled, Do You Hear What I Hear? Said the night to the wind, said night wind to the little lamb, Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little lamb, do you see what I see? A star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite, with a tail as big as a kite. Now said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, Do you hear what I hear? Ringing through the sky, shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear? A song, a song, high above the trees, with a voice as big as the sea, with a voice as big as the sea. And said the shepherd boy to the mighty king, do you know what I know? In your palace warm, mighty king, do you know what I know? A child, a child, shivers in the cold, let us bring him silver and gold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Well, then said the king to the people everywhere, Listen to what I say. Pray for peace, people everywhere. Listen to what I say. The child, the child, sleeping in the night, he will bring us goodness and light. He will bring us goodness and light. That's a marvelously constructed Christmas carol. It goes from person to person. Well, it begins with the wind to a lamb to a shepherd, and then it ends with the king. And the audience grows progressively larger and wider. And the theme of this happens to be the great peace and goodness and hope that the birth of Jesus Christ would bring to the world. Now, do you know when this was written? This was written not many years ago, not even in uh, the two previous centuries. It was written in 1962 on the occasion of the Cuban Missile Crisis. When Russia sent nuclear weapons to Cuba just off the coast of Florida in order to control the Western Hemisphere and especially to target the United States. And of course, you have heard a number of times how our president, John F. Kennedy, responded at the time. He told uh, in a televised speech 
He told the Soviet Union about those nuclear warheads and missiles, get them out or I will blow them out, is what he said. And this Christmas carol then was written in a time of national crisis, and that's why Isaiah 9 is so appropriate for us to consider this evening. Isaiah 9 was written in a time of national crisis. I must tell you that I think just about every year, if not every day, of my life as an American citizen, which began in August of 1965, has been a year or a day of national crisis. Everything nailed down has come loose in so many ways. And it seems to accelerate with a maddening pace every year. We have had problems that really began in 1960 or thereabout that accelerated vociferously and aggressively in 1965, and we have seen them do nothing but grow worse and worse. And the best of minds collect their wisdom together. And the federal government even prints dollars and throws them at these problems, and they do not get better, but they only get worse. There aren't problems that we are solving. Instead, they are challenges. And then, you have to understand, that is in the nation that many people look to as the hope of nations. It's worse everywhere else in so many ways. And this is the kind of spirit and the atmosphere under King Ahaz that Judah felt about itself in Isaiah chapter 9. Israel and Syria have joined forces together and are threatening to attack Judah. And what we find here is that Isaiah says a crisis is the right time to consider the birth of the coming king. Beginning in verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. We can rejoice in every crisis because of Christ's birth. So rejoice. If you follow Jesus, rejoice, because Isaiah tells us several things about Christ's birth. One is that Christ's birth is the birth of a personal gift. Unto us, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. This is a personal gift, it, it, it born to us, certainly to the world, but he specifies twice emphatically here in the text, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now when he says unto us a child is born, he's emphasizing the humanity of this child. A child is born. That's something that takes place among humans. And so this coming king would be a human. But then he says unto us a son is given. Well, if child is born means humanity, son is given means divinity and deity. The God-man would be born, and that gives us great reason to hope. This is a personal gift from God of the God-man. Do you know that the other faiths of the world and the other faiths of history do not speak of God in these terms? 
There's no personal relationship in Islam with Allah. There is no personal walk with any of the Hindu deities, now numbering more than 300 million. There is no personal relationship with Nirvana, unless you're talking about the grunge rock band and the people in it. I mean, there's none of that at all. No personal relationship, no personal walk, and certainly there is no love coming from Allah. There's no love coming from the deities of Hinduism. There's no love coming from nirvana at all. And yet here, this God loves us enough to give us the God-man born unto us, a personal gift. There was a man that fell sick and was in the hospital many days, and he was unconscious for much of the time. And he woke up and he saw his sweet wife sitting by the bed. And he said, what, what are you doing? She said, I'm just sitting here loving you. And that is precisely what our God can say. He gives us personal gifts. Jesus Christ, then, is just as real and present and personal today as He was in the Gospels. And, beloved, if you know the Lord, it just gets better tomorrow. And that's what He promises. So Christ's birth is the birth of a personal gift, but then Christ's birth is the birth of pristine goodness. Hey, if you've got a dog at home, that growls and wags his tail, that dog is lying at one end or the other. <laughs> that's precisely what's happening. And you know, on our best days, that's exactly how we are. That's exactly how we are. We've got enormous inconsistencies. We don't wish for it to be that way, but even despite our best desires, our longings, our, our, our efforts, we still struggle to be consistent at both places. None of that confusion here is in the text in verse 6. It says his name, his character, his reputation. He'll have a reputation of having a certain kind of character. So his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Well, he's the Wonderful Counselor. In, in other words, he has awe-inspiring competence in all that he does. He has extraordinary counsel. Colossians 3.2 says about Jesus that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus has never coached a football game, but he could come back and coach University of Florida and beat Alabama in the national championship first one. He is competent beyond all measure. Now, I don't know why he would ever want to coach Florida, but uh, <laughs> sinking that low, he could accomplish it and beat Alabama. One poet wrote, Jesus can solve any problem. The tangles of life undo. There's nothing too hard for Jesus. There's nothing he cannot do. If you've got a sorrow, if you've got something that's breaking your heart, if you've got something that causes tears to pour from your eyes, take it to Jesus. He's competent. He's a wonderful counselor. So he's a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. This could be translated mighty warrior. And David would have that on his tongue when he met Goliath. They'd run from Goliath, most of the uh, army of Israel, in fact all of them, saying he's too big to hit. And David said, no, he's too big to miss because the battle is the Lord's and he shall accomplish the victory in 1 Samuel 17, 47. Then he's the everlasting father. Now he's not father God, but he is uh, everlasting source, everlasting origin, and that can be translated that as well. He's the everlasting source of all of our needs and our God shall supply all our need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There's not a need you have that Jesus cannot supply. And then He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Master of Peace. He's the Ambassador of Peace. He would say in John 14, 27, My peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, gives I to you. And thank God, He doesn't give peace like the world. You've got to pay for peace in this world. You receive it from Christ by His grace. So this is marvelous, outstanding, unimpeachable character. In fact, you can tell an awful lot about a person, not only by the friends he or she has, but also by the enemies as well. And the enemies of Jesus had some marvelous things to say about him. Pontius Pilate said on five occasions, I find no fault in him. Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes said, he's the friend of sinners and he does good on the Sabbath. And demons would say, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. That's the character of Jesus Christ that fell from the lips of even his own enemies. Now, in just two centuries, we've learned some things about George Washington. He probably didn't cut down a cherry tree and tell his father he couldn't tell a lie. He probably told several. We find that Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, and he could not, or he did not, treat them very well. Abraham Lincoln's wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, was a superstitious spiritist. This is what we've learned about great American heroes and their families in two centuries of American history. But in 20 centuries, we haven't found one single legitimate accusation against the King of kings and Lord of lords. His goodness is pristine. So his birth is the birth of pristine goodness and a personal gift. But then, his birth is the birth of pure government. The assumption behind this is that Satan is the god of this world. In uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 6, when Satan offered Jesus, the kingdoms of the world, and all the authority that accompanied them, if he would bow down and worship him. Jesus didn't challenge that assumption and say, no, you don't own the whole world. In fact, he had owned the whole world since Adam and Eve turned it over to him. So Ephesians 2.2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. Colossians 4.4, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 4.4, he is the God of this world. And 1 John 5.19, the whole world lies under the sway of the devil. Now, chapter 7, chapter 9, verse 7, says that when he comes, he'll take it over. Of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to, to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord will, zeal of, the Lord of hosts will perform it. He says five things about the kingdom of Christ. There will be limitless expansion is one thing. I grew up in Houston, Texas, and I've observed through the years the developments in that state and its neighbor to the south. And I've got to tell you, Mexico is one of the finest nations in all the earth when you consider its natural resources. It has just as much as the United States. It's got two beautiful coasts. It's got some of the most beautiful, sweet people in all the earth. And it certainly has the very best culinary tradition. It certainly does. But ladies and gentlemen, Mexico is Mexico and the United States is the United States. Why? Because of enormous, grotesque corruption at all levels of government. It's a heartbreaking reality. Those sweet people have got to live under a corrupt government. I have always imagined and wondered, what would it be like for half a century for the United States just to annex Mexico, send forces there, clean up the place, and transform it into a real representative democracy and build it and give it back after 50 years. This is what this text is talking about. There will be an increase of the political boundaries of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He will annex the whole world and clean it up. And then his kingdom will be David-like. 
In other words, it will be a place where they slay Goliaths and Philistines and the people of God will not have to worry about any of them. It'll be a place of unspoiled justice. Unspoiled justice. Even in our government system, even among leaders that we admire greatly, there's always just a taint of disappointment with each of them. In survey after survey after survey of presidents in the last 50 years, the president that is at the top of all other presidents that have served in the last 50 years happens to be the late president, Ronald Reagan. He is the most popular president with the highest approval of the American people in not during his era, but during, uh, following his time of all the presidents that have ever served in the last 50 years, and yet President Reagan still had an Iran-Contra affair in his administration, as heartbreaking as that is. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what this text is saying? It is saying that Jesus Christ will rule and nothing will spoil his administration. He won't overlook anything. He'll not be ignorant of anything. He will not make any mistake. He will have unspoiled justice through it all. And then it will be eternal. From this time forward, even forever. You know the problem with rulers and kings of the earth? The problem is, is that the good ones don't last forever and the bad ones don't seem to die anywhere at any time. This one here will live forever and forever. And then it is certain it will happen because the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. So for that reason, I feel like W.A. Criswell who said, we cannot brag on Jesus too much. We cannot glorify the Lord too much. We cannot lift him up too high. We cannot preach and declare him too fervently and too zealously. It is impossible to lift and exalt and magnify him too much among the sons and daughters of the earth. There was a sign in a chaplain's office, a military chaplain's office that read like this. If you're worried, come inside and let's talk about it. If you're not worried, come inside and tell us how you did it. I wish somebody somewhere, maybe somebody here tonight, somebody here this afternoon would cry out to the Lord and say, oh Lord, would you come in and tell me how you do it? Will you tell me how you do it? Do you know you can do that now? Lord, you, you've already told us about ourselves and how guilty we are. I come admitting it. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, the publican prayed. Lord, you've told us the remedy, and that is faith in your death and resurrection. That's what you've told us. And, and then, Lord, you, you've told me the way. Surrender to you. You know something? We really don't have to ask him to come in and tell us. He already has. And it stands good today. And it stands good forever. Would you open up your heart now? Would you open up your heart now and come to Christ and give yourself to Him? Would you open up your soul and spirit? We want to help you with that. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. And when we do, we're going to ask you to stand. Our staff will be here and we're going to ask you to respond. But I want to pray about it first. So let's stand together and ask God to help us. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel of Christ. Thank you indeed that Jesus has been born and that his birth is a personal gift, someone that we can have personally and walk with us, not merely a distant historical person, as real as he is, but someone that can be just as real to us as he was to a Peter and Andrew, to his mother, 
to his stepfather Joseph. Thank you that he has an unspoiled goodness and we can trust him. And thank you that he can build a pure government beginning with the government of our hearts and lives. Lord, again, you are capable of taking a moment and changing centuries with it. Would you do that for a soul today? Would you do that for a marriage? Would you do that for a family? Would you do that for all of us now as we turn to you? Now, we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, staff are going to be here. We're going to invite you to come and come, become a follower of Jesus. Would you do that? Maybe you've got some other need. Would you come? You come. I'm going to finish my prayer. We're going to sing. You come. Dear Lord, would you please govern us now and govern this moment and make it what you want it to be in each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. Oh, come all ye musicians continue to play let me ask you to talk to God now there's enough on your heart enough in our world to turn over to him would you join me in silent prayer for just a moment please
please don't hesitate to take your guilt to him. Don't hesitate to take anxiety and fears to him. Oh, and then your needs. Bring handfuls of those. God bless you. Please be seated. John Walker. Seeing you tomorrow in our noon service. We will have child care for uh, babies through uh, kindergarten. And uh, so you can have a Christmas morning and then come on and be here for our, our noon service. Uh, Beach Haven has been a generous church. And ushers, if you'll come forward, uh, we give because God first gave to us. And uh, tonight our offering, as our pastor has said, is going to go to our Christian Concern Fund. This is our benevolence ministry where we get to help people who are in uh, acute financial stress. Uh, there was uh, one woman who was just starting a new job and uh, she did not have enough time to get even uh, financially. Had some bills uh, stacking up on her and uh, she was about to, to go back to the only security that she knew, which was an abusive situation. And we became aware of it and through your generosity and giving, we were able to relieve that financial stress, relieve that sense of desperation and uh, watch her make some good decisions for her and her family. So. We thank you uh, for giving today. Please join me in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, that you tell us in Proverbs that a generous person will be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. And Father, may we pattern ourselves after your giving nature. And Lord, all of us know what spiritual poverty is. All of us know that we are destitute morally and that we have no righteousness of our own. But through your Christmas gift, your son, Jesus Christ, and his death, burial, and resurrection, we can be made holy in your sight. We can be made without blemish and free from accusation. So, Father, we thank you for that, that wonderful gift that you've given. We thank you for the blessing that we celebrate here at Christmas time. that new hope, that new joy, that new profound status that we had made possible through your son, Jesus Christ, and his birth. We pray all this in the name of his, uh, his name, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, we've had some folks make decisions this afternoon, and I want Tommy Fountain to go ahead and come and introduce them. I want you to have a great opportunity to, uh, to rejoice. Let me get the mic. This is uh, Liz Tyler and uh, Timmy Tyler. This is Timmy right here. Uh, Timmy's eight years old, and Liz comes today desiring membership uh, for moving a letter from a sister church. And uh, Timmy comes today and uh, just prayed right here and accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. Hey! So we'll be, uh, we'll be following up with them and uh, following up with Timmy and, uh, and uh, making those next steps toward baptism. So you guys can go ahead and be seated.
resounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Oh, he rules the world. He rules the world with truth and grace and Have a great afternoon.